Hello everybody, my name is Daniel Prince and I'm the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. Something completely different for you today, a, um, a non-coiner, um, a friend of mine that uh, agreed to come on the show and talk about her work in uh, the field of cognitive behavioral therapy. Why we think the way we do, how we think the way we do, what we can do to you know get control of our minds. I think you'll find it completely fascinating. I think this is a subject we need to delve into more as Bitcoiners, especially around the, the, the prospect that many of us face of um, perhaps becoming uh, wealthier than we could have, have, have thought uh, in a world that might be going in the complete opposite direction. You know, what's that going to do to the mindset? Uh, I, I hope you enjoy it. She's got some incredible thoughts. Uh, I really enjoy speaking with her. Let's get into the uh, uh, get into the interview, but make sure, as always, that you go and check out uh, coinfloor.co.uk uh, forward slash bitten if you want to start your stacking sats auto buy journey. Um, this is the best way to do it. Uh, you know they're a trusted company, the Bitcoin only exchange, and that's uh, that's a huge huge plus. And uh, Obi's been on the show, so you can go and check out that interview direct with the CEO of that exchange to get a feel for you know. Is this a company that I trust to be stacking sats with? I certainly am, and I, I owe you a lot because uh, you know he's he stepped up to uh, to support the show after our interview as well. So, big thanks, huge thanks to everybody that's listening. As always, take care, enjoy this one. I think um, I think you'd appreciate something a little bit different. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. With me today is Dr. Sylvia Buett, who is a cognitive behavioral psychotherapist. Sylvia, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Daniel, and thank you for having me. Oh, you are most welcome. Uh, this is a conversation I've wanted to be having for a long time. And mm -hmm. just to give the listeners a, a little bit of um, kind of backstory on this, uh, Sylvia and I were introduced by a friend uh, because I had um, a deep interest in um, CBT and I wanted to speak to somebody directly about it who was practicing it. Uh, because I thought there was um, a huge overlap with um, the business I do with consulting with sales teams and cognit cognitive behavioral therapy around um, uh, sales and overcoming this awful word, overcoming objections, understanding how people think, why they react the way they do, what's built mm -hmm. into us, pre-built you know, pre into us. And Sylvia was um, a huge help in, in helping me understand that. So that's why I wanted to get her on the show uh, about a Bitcoin podcast and all will become um, relevant and um, it will uh, work itself out for the reasons why in a second. But Lauren's here to ask the first question of Sylvia. So Hi, Lauren. Lauren, fire away. Um, yes. How do you make people happy? <laughs> well, if you have a daddy like your father, probably <laughs> you would be happy and others too. So um, definitely no sweets, uh, definitely not just a new toy. There are more important things in life like a good daddy, a good mommy, uh, good siblings, uh, something you can be 
looking forward to, to maybe the next holiday after this lockdown. Uh, you can't be looking forward to too many things, and that's half of the joy we get of things in life. So that's how many more things we can do about being happy. What about that, Lauren? Will you apply any of these things? Yeah. Mm, yeah, so you're not going to go and have that ice cream you've been waiting for? Um, oh, you have been waiting. You <laughs> have been waiting. Five to ten minutes happy. <laughs> it doesn't make you happy, it just makes you, you know, a bit elated, a bit naughty. It can make you many things apart from happy. That, I mean, it's true. It took us a long time to set this podcast up, didn't it? Because we were having a difficulty with the sound. And whilst you were up here doing this with me, your three siblings were down there eating their ice creams. But you've waited this whole time, haven't you? Yeah. So now you can go and enjoy it even more than they did. Yeah. There you go. The more you wait, the happier you'll get later. <laughs> Low time preference, ladies and gentlemen. Into the Bitcoin podcast, we delve. Okay. So do you want to um, say goodbye to Sylvia? Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Sylvia. How many nine-year-olds have you um, treated before in your practice? None, because I do normally treat uh, only adults. Um, children's, um, children are difficult in the sense that um, you need to have proper training. You cannot just deal with children the same way as you, you treat adults. So uh, while the principles may be the same when you're applying the same techniques to clients, uh, to adults and children. Uh, you need to really have a, spe a specialist training just to uh, to translate, to transform those those techniques for children. So I don't deal with them. I only deal with adults. Those are normally less happy than children. <laughs> yes. Um, well, let's let's give a little bit of context for the listeners. Then a little bit about your backstory. How did you find uh, cognitive? Um, behavioral therapy what what brought you down this particular rabbit hole <laughs> i didn't find it it found me <laughs> another perfect bitcoin answer like, <laughs> you are such me. a bitcoiner you don't know that you are a bitcoiner yet <laughs> it's true it found me i was only 17 years old i had just left home to study university and i went i as you can see i'm what you don't see but you can hear i'm spanish i was born actually in paris but I grew up in Spain. And then, although after that, I moved to Northern Ireland, which is where I'm normally based. But uh, I went to university in a town, a very big city called Valencia. Uh, and it's about 200 miles away from, from my hometown. And I decided to study, study psychology. And it was all about cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, we're talking here about 19. 86, that old I am. <laughs> and it was the only approach uh, that you could study at university because in psychology you have uh, many approaches. Um, the only scientific approach to therapy is actually cognitive behavioral therapy. And at, at the moment, there are more than 500 uh, randomized controlled trials um, indicating that CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is... Um, is the most evidence-based uh, approach to therapy or uh, to psychological problems. So we have 500 pieces of evidence of how well it works. That's amazing. And what, what in your early studies then, is that what, like, something just grabbed hold of you and, like, you just knew this is the path I need to follow? Well, uh, as, as you know, when, when you study the degree, you don't know how many more approaches there are until you may be interested in reading about the others. 
And I definitely uh, stopped to CBT after um, reading and studying more about psychoanalysis and person-centered. And in fact, they are about, I don't know, over a hundred approaches in in therapy, and at the moment there are over thirty approaches to CBT. Things are now. I mean, a few years ago was the third wave of CBT. Maybe now that's the fourth wave. There are so many approaches, even in CBT now, that you lost count. It's very very difficult now to be even training one particular CBT model, um, and and not to know about the others because the most common ones are Beck's model and Ellis model and some others but you cannot I cannot keep track on all of them it's just too many you just stick to one that works for you and then if you if you apply the principles correctly you get the results normally yes and one thing that I used um, a great deal after um, speaking with you uh, a few times um, that I then went on and used in my um, consulting practice was the uh, the ABCDE um, <laughs> yes. method, which I think is so true. Uh, and would you just quickly, uh, for the listeners, uh, just explain you know those those steps and um, mm-hmm. where we kind of generally stop and break down? Okay, uh, as I was mentioning before, you have over forty approaches, thirty forty approaches in CBT. The one I was sharing with you, it was called. RBT or rational emotive behavior therapy, who was it was actually the first the first ever CBT approach in the world developed by Albert Ellis. So that uh, approach is grounded on the idea. The foundation is based on the idea that depending on how you perceive a situation, you think, uh, you behave or feel according to how you perceive it. So, for example, um, right now, I'm not really used to having podcasts. I do other kind of things, but, <laughs> but not podcasts. So the activating event is normally considered the situation. So that I, I would call that an A, an activating event. That's the situation. And there could be several consequences, which is, in that model ABC, and now we are at C, the consequences of that could be, on one hand, emotion, and on the other could be behavior. So if I am doing this podcast with you, that's the activating event, the A, uh, the consequences of that could be several. I could feel excited. I could feel terrified. (laughs) I could feel... um, Worried could be feeling ashamed if I realize that I made some grammar mistake. I'm sure that I've done, I've done a few of those by now. But um, so I could feel emotionally in different ways, just in the same situation. Some people will feel actually very relaxed and very happy. So the same situation have the potential to make us feel one way or the other, but it's not the A that causes C is actually the very central part called B. B is our beliefs, the way we perceive the situation. So right now, I think I sound like I feel, which is excited. <laughs> I'm, quite, I'm quite happy. I feel relaxed, although energized. And my beliefs um, in my mind is either I don't have anything to fear. Um, I am in good company. 
with you and all the listeners. Um, people normally are quite compassionate, as I have learned to be with myself. So there is nothing really to worry. But if you had got me, Daniel, maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago, <laughs> that bee would have been very different. I would have had these thoughts. Oh my goodness, what a fool of myself I'm doing here. I am absolutely making an arse of myself. <laughs> I'm going to be mortified when I listen to this again. People are going to hate me. They're never going to want to do anything with me. I will never generate business. This is appalling. I should quit. I know I'm not cut to be a therapist or do anything like that. Now, with those kind of beliefs, how are you going to feel? Quite worried, quite scared, quite everything but negative. So now we have a activating event, podcast. I mean, you, I am you, the listeners, um, when you just have to listen and enjoy, hopefully. Uh, but if you are in a situation like that and you've never done anything like this, it can go both ways. You don't know sometimes um, how it's going to go. You may feel very, very good or you may develop a panic attack out of the blue and not knowing where it's coming from. And that comes from your beliefs. It comes from the way you're thinking about the situation. So uh, the next part is more fun. <laughs> so far we have a situation that could be potentially very difficult. And it's how if you actually develop some negative thoughts, some irrational beliefs about a situation that is difficult, how can you change that? How can you change your mindset to thinking differently in a way that is maybe how I'm thinking right now with all of you? More compassionate, more tolerant, more enjoying the moment, even if, if this is a completely new thing. And that is where the D comes well, it, it, it plays a part. That is really in this model of Ellie's model, the disputing part. Now, at this present time, while I'm talking, I cannot have um, the time or the ability to put into practice the D, which is challenging myself to be asking myself questions, how legitimate, how valid, how rational um, those possibly maladaptive beliefs can be, making me feel the C or the negative emotions that I may develop. So I'm not questioning anything at the moment because I don't have the time, I don't have the opportunity. But if you're working on any problem at all, you either need to have the space and time to ask yourself questions. How much evidence do I have to support what I'm believing? Um, is this um, something that is practical? How does it logically follow that by thinking like that, that the next thing is gonna happen? So you ask yourself a number of questions. And the conclusion, Normally, is the E, the more effective way of thinking. And that conclusion normally needs to be developed with lots of arguments. It cannot be just one positive thought against a negative thought. You normally need, in my experience, a ratio of 10 to 1, 10 rational, 10 powerful, healthy beliefs based on evidence, based on logic, based on practical issues, against one belief that may be maladaptive or unhealthy. And that is the process that sometimes, either in coaching or consulting or therapy goes. Sometimes all we do, um, I do a lot of coaching, uh, but I also do a lot of therapy, which is more about 
some psychological problems. But for coaching, people's success is completely dependent on their mindset, on how they perceive situations. And the same situation can be really energizing for some people, but extremely extremely worrying and, and scary for others. And those limiting beliefs stop people from actually achieving their goals. That's what I do. I identify those beliefs, those self-sabotaging beliefs in people. Identify them and then I challenge them until they find more effective ways of thinking about what they need to achieve and how to get the right attitude, the right mindset to get there without those roadblocks in the way. Yeah, and like I said, you know, once um, once I started helping people apply that method to to their own daily lives, uh, like the feedback was just incredible. Um, so I want to move this on to like uh, as we discussed, you know, setting this interview up. Um, the reason I wanted to get somebody of your um, experience on is because uh, I, I I know you understand about investing and, and trading, and you've done some of that in your past. Yes, still in the present. Yes, and still in the present. And whatever is left. And along with, alongside that, obviously, you know, you're triggered every day with activating events like price mm-hmm. go up, price go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the CEO says something, or something flashes across the screen on um, on the on the television um, that gets you either all amped up and bullish on something or really worried and anxious and scared and something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this leads to um, irrational beliefs on both sides Mm -hmm. and leads to consequences. And the consequences could be selling out too early or or buying at the wrong time uh, Mm -hmm. or buying too much and not holding off in, you know, to to really build a nice position. Yeah. Um, And I know as well with your work, You've um, you've also worked with um, some like very prominent people, like uh, high net worth um, people, and have an insight into what um, what success might look like mm-hmm. in somebody's mind's eye. But when you get there, it might not actually be mm-hmm. that. So I want to delve into those. So sure. can we talk about then what as investors, uh, as Bitcoiners, uh-huh. uh, we're in a very volatile space. And people are getting triggered all of the time. Many of us believe a scenario is about to play out where people might become very wealthy very quickly mm-hmm. and uncomfortably wealthy, if that might be such a thing, mm-hmm. over the next six months to 18 months. Some right. people might be made very rich indeed. Um, I don't think there's enough worry or discussion going on around around that because are people ready, in your opinion, to just fall into this new amount of wealth or is there some pitfalls some traps that Mm. we should be looking for there are pitfalls everywhere in life (laughs) (laughs) so even if you become very very wealthy um i don't know if people have have read or listened too much about the problems of rich people um i i think i read some time ago uh there are there are no funny problems. I mean, all the problems people can find in their lives are really painful. But these are kind of problems we don't normally have, like, oh, my God, I just crashed my jet or um, my jet, and, um, um, and now my, um, 
my kid could be kidnapped or things like that. I mean, we we have um, normally problems uh, that we have. We don't have well, rich or wealthy people wouldn't have, but they normally have this very similar problems that we all have. They worry about a lot of things because at the end of the day, having a lot of money generates problems, uh, as I say, that apart from crashing your jet or whatever, um, they normally have to deal with more lawsuits. They also mistrust people more because at the end of the day, if you have a lot of money, you don't know who is to be trustworthy if someone loves you for who you are or they love you because they want money of you. So those people actually become quite um, wary about the intentions of other people in case they just want to take advantage of them. And apart from that, they have the same and absolutely the same um, mental health issues that everyone else could have. So um, I've seen people with panic attacks or flying um, difficulties or people who, uh, for example, I, I dealt with a, a case once. Um, it was actually uh, recorded by a TV cr- uh, crowd and it was displayed on TV in the UTV as um, a a channel in Northern Ireland. And this uh, was a very famous person, Julian Simmons, a presenter. And he was over 50 years old and he never learned to drive because he was too scared of uh, killing someone. So I did a therapy of him online, um, on for TV. And that's, that's one problem that we could all have, fear of driving, fear of jumping on a plane. So wealthy people will have the same problems as everyone. Uh, and they have the same uh, treatment as everyone. So they can contact me and whatever it is that they worry about or they are depressed. And more so if they lose money. Financially, losing money can activate them. These core beliefs that they may be holding um, about maybe being a failure, being a loser. And if you have those core beliefs, you invariably going to be depressed. So those kind of things, you need to do it. Not so much in coaching, but in therapy. If you're depressed, then you need further support for you to be able to think differently about taking those hits when you lose money and still be hopeful about the future, but not to beat yourself up, not to feel the shame that sometimes you feel and how you compare yourself with other people who have more money or who made uh, a better decision uh, investing. And, and those kind of things can be problematic and they need to be addressed. And do you see shame on the on the other side of it as well? If people make money very quickly, is there a certain amount of shame connected with that? When you lose it. Not so much when you make it. Uh, right. If you make it, it's more related to guilt rather than shame. Uh, and the shame is uh, is more when you lose it. If you lose it, then you can go into oh, I shouldn't have made this um, stupid decision. I'm, a sh-, you know, um, and then if others as well want to blame you, say you have a partner who's not very compassionate, um, you may actually have to, you know, you f- you feel shame if others actually blame you. But the guilt is is 
probably worse. If you make a lot of money and others know about it, because again, you don't have to tell other people you made a lot of money. <laughs> if you want to stop feeling guilty, that's maybe it's a stop in the A column. Not having the activated event will probably be also a good option. Don't tell anyone you made the money. Then you don't have to feel guilty about letting people know that you have the money and have to share it, which is one of the main reasons, Daniel, why people lose their money when they make it. Mainly when they, they win the lottery, there are studies, they say that 70% of all lottery winners lose all their money by year five, roughly. And, and that's just like a lot of guilt being like played well, out? Or? There are apparently a lot of mistakes people make when they win the lottery. Mm. Um, so first of all, they, they are never prepared or very rarely prepared to think in the long term or budget um, about what to do with that money or how to share it. They don't have really uh, people around them to support them in the journey to adjust to that um, new status in their lives. So they should actually get a financial advisor and and, uh, an accountant and definitely a life coach like me to guide them, to make them see how to maximize their, their, their money, how to not let it be just spent on things that they can actually go like a big house. And then if you know managing the money, the money goes. So they make a lot of mistakes and and they 70%, they just, the, the money's gone. Now, that could also happen, I believe. I don't know about Bitcoin in that way. Um, I think if I read correctly, only 1% of people own more than 10 units. So hmm, probably the other 99% will not get to be very, very, very wealthy if they don't have enough um, Bitcoin, but at the end of the day, if they don't plan now, if they really think, if you really think this is going to be big in the next year, then you need to really be prepared uh, because is if it comes to you as quickly as lottery winners, you may be as unprepared both psychologically and externally to manage that amount of money. Yes, and this is that, I mean, we're right where I needed to be now. This is what um, what I wanted to speak with you about. And like, what can people do to help prepare themselves other than emailing you and calling you and booking <laughs> sessions? Because I urge you to do that, listeners. Um, but, you know, if there is um, any other kind of like quick yeah, fixes. Well, I think there are many, many things people can do, at least psychologically. Um, maybe a few important things will have to be done externally, but I think it's more about the mindset. One of the things is deciding whether or not, and I was joking before, but not really. The first thing you need to do is deciding whether or not you're going to share the news with your family and friends and how much you're going to tell them that you've made. It is your decision. No one is forcing you to tell everyone exactly how much money you're making. So if you do tell, uh, because it feels wrong not to tell your uh, close friends and family, then personally, I think I would set up uh, some kind of system where the same as you need to learn to make that money that you earn be long-lasting, to be adding to your happiness, if 
that is possible because again, I'm going to tell you something here. Um, there are lots of studies that after one year of making such amount of money, after one year, you revert back to your normal baseline of happiness, whatever that might be. And that happens for both uh, happy moments or adversity. That is what is called hedonistic adaptation. So it's not going to make you happier in the long term, in the very long term, to make a lot of money through Bitcoin or any other investment or lottery. But you need to plan how to make that money be give you meaning in your life to continue appreciating what you still have in your life. Because once you have the money, you will still find the hole. You will still find what's wrong in your life. Even if it's not um, lack of money, um, it may be that you're not happy with uh, your partner, that your mental health still is not as good as you would like. And by the way, 20% of all happiness that we can experience is due to having good mental health. So if you really want to invest that money that you earn, should be put it back into your into yourself so use the money to create meaning to make an investment not just to buy stuff to create create a criteria on how to give gifts to other people and let them know about how you're going to distribute that money and for how long and when you're going to stop There is a time when you cannot be generous anymore. In fact, that's one of the main reasons why lottery winners lose all the money. They just give it to everyone and they don't plan it. So I'm thinking of my nieces. If I came with with a lot of money, I would actually give them enough for them to know how to make an investment. And I would actually facilitate a financial advisor and a trainer and some kind of you know, supportive for my niece to get the best that they could get with the money that I give her. So it's all about not just giving them the money and the gift, it's it's to make them responsible for what they're getting and ideally to make it grow. Um, So there is a time when if people feel extremely guilty uh, about having a privileged position, that they can contact me or some other uh, life coach. But there is no way we can be saviors of the world uh, just because we have more money than others. Otherwise, you end up with no money. And others, they also spend the money as they were lottery winners. People do not value money so much when it comes in in a way that is given as a chunk. People who normally make the best and they are happier with the money are actually the people who earn it. The other ones are more likely to lose it after five years. 70% will. It's interesting what you said about baseline happiness. So is that kind of like predetermined in, in everyone uh, and shaped over the, like the our early reformative years sort of thing? And then my my baseline happiness might be a little bit higher or lower than, than somebody else's. And, you know, if something good happens to me, I get a spike, you know, my football team wins or whatever, and I'm walking on air for that weekend. And then the next week, something else happens and mm-hmm. it just falls straight through the floor. But after a couple of days, it always comes back to that same baseline. Yeah, huh. it does. It's so... like technical analysis, like, <laughs> like charting. <laughs> okay, so that's interesting. So baseline yeah. happiness then. Can that yeah. be moved? Can that? Yeah, OK. 
Okay. Well, uh, the other studies that tell us um, that 50% of all our happiness is 50% is dictated by our own genetic material. So it's already born with us. 50%. 10% is environmental. 10% of the adversity, the happiness, anything uh, that we could feel either very, very, very bad, very, 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 very good. 10% only is A. The A, the external event. 40% is due to our mindset. So the only thing we actually have control over is that 40%. Now, it can make a huge difference. The other 60 well, for 50 is embedded into us, it's programmed into us. 10% is the environment, but 40% is a huge amount you, you can work with. Um, if you don't manage your mental resources correctly, it's going to get you into trouble. You're going to be more unhappy. Back to your baseline, if you were unhappy before, you even with lots of lots of money coming through Bitcoin, you're going to still be miserable because you've never learned to be happy before. Now, you can learn to be happy, happier. To, to be content with yourself, to have better mental health, to appreciate things in life, to know how to entertain yourself without being bored out of having so much money. There are so many things you can learn. But if you don't do anything with that money, that 40% that you're not managing, unless you were already a very happy chap or woman before, you're still going to be miserable or very happy if that is your makeup. That's very interesting. So, yeah, you got a 40% chance of, of hiring your, your, the baseline of your happiness. I mean, who wouldn't want to bet on that, right, and take those odds? So, well, that's the best investment. I mean, it's going to cost very, very little compared with a big mansion, a huge car, great yes. holidays. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that expensive a one session of coaching compared with all those things. And normally you don't need a lifetime of coaching, maybe five to ten sessions will just set you right. It will put you in the right mindset. So it's uh, something that I would recommend to everyone, apart from getting a good lawyer, or getting a good accountant, a financial advisor, definitely a good life coach, but one who doesn't tell you just to think positively. I don't care who that might be, but please don't go to those ones who said, please get up in the morning and use these self-affirmations. I am the best. I'm going to be billionaire, not just millionaire, billionaire. I'll have the best car of the whole city. Those ones will only make you more unhappy the moment you fail at achieving the minimum thing. Because we're all also programmed not just to be wanting success and, and to be wealthy. We're also programmed to be defeated to call ourselves bad names, to insult ourselves, to use the whip on ourselves when we fail. And that's where the problem comes. So any affirmations, anything you do with the new mindset or the old one that you need to change, is making sure that you think rationally, that whoever guides you into the process of using the money to be happier than you were before is someone who is a logical person, someone who is not just telling you, think positively and things will happen, because that will never get you ready to when the shit hits the fun. Mm. And it's like this monkey mind of ours um, that is, like you said, you know, it's, it's ready to tear you down. 
and it's only you talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you do something great and achieve something brilliant and, you know, you have some success, you might feel like a flash of pride. Yes. But and the other should, way around. <laughs> right. You should, hopefully, and yes, we should lengthen good. that out. Yes. Um, but we don't. We're, we're too busy trying to look for a negative to, to beat ourselves back down. Why yeah. is that? Like, what is well, tell, if we didn't have that, I suppose you wouldn't have a profession. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it all comes to how we are programmed to think. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure that this will resonate with you like it will resonate with many people. When we grow up, um, when we grow up, we, we just want to be the best in the class, to win a match, um, to just have... Um, very expensive, um, I don't know, car to show your mates. We are programmed to think about success in a way that we either we feel proud or we make other people proud, like our parents. And that way we validate our own self-worth that way. But at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the day, if we continue with that pattern to try to prove all the time that you're worthy, that you need approval of people, that you are good, just because you have achieved something. What happens is that the minimum disappointment when you don't get it or you lose it, because <laughs> that is the problem, as I said. You win the lottery, you make a lot of money with a huge investment, but in five years, 70% lose it. So it's better just not to have to prove anything. You're neither a loser if you lose the money. You're neither a better person, a more worthy person if you make it. You have different type of responsibilities to yourself. So... It's better just to overcome these um, extremes of how you perceive yourself, how to manage your emotions in a more healthy way, uh, to achieve your goals. And the most important thing, particularly for me, um, and I think that this is one experience that I learned a lot in my life, is that when I decided to do my PhD at 42 years old, I was very old, not old, but not the normal age to do a PhD. Um, Because I did it because I was really, really interested in understanding why some people uh, could move on after a breakup very quickly, but others were really stuck for years. So I was so intrigued about that that I thought, oh, why not? I'm going to be doing a PhD and find out why some people move on and why other people can't get over their breakup. So I did that. And guess what happened? Seven years later, I was still studying the PhD. (laughs) Right. Nearly my eighth year, I thought, okay, you know, here's the Bible, finished it. So very, not long ago, I did, uh, I finished it. And those seven years were very interesting because I was investing a lot of time, a lot of energy. And at times, I remember that day, two months into the project, I failed my differentiation. The panel just thought basically my project was shit. And I had to redo it again. So even with difficulties and challenges, you could have gone, many people would go into defeatist mode, saying, oh, I'm not good. I'm never going to be able to achieve this. And then you just quit. Well, I thought not. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue, but I'm going to promise myself. I made myself a promise. And this is the promise I would like every one of you to make when you are in the process of making this money with Bitcoin right now, from today. The commitment to your service 
even if I have lows, even if I have highs, enjoy your life the moment. This is the last one. Enjoying the moment gives meaning to your life, gives the challenge can give you happiness. So I enjoyed my seven years of that process, like every day of it, with all the challenges. You can enjoy even the lows by thinking, okay, what is what I need to think about this situation? Do I need to sell? Do I need to buy more? Do I need to stay steady? And make sure that it is not going to affect your sleep. If I mean, you're a Bitcoin investor. If you go to bed and every night, when you have a high, you can't stop checking your portfolio and get, yes, yes, and I can't sleep for a week in the maniac state. Probably that's not very good for your mental health. But if you're going into the other uh, extreme by checking all the time, now would be not at night time, but during the day, the portfolio, oh no, I'm just lost. Oh my God, 5,000 passing today and yesterday another 10,000 and do I sell? And then you go to bed and then you can't sleep worrying about it. Are you sure you want to be a Bitcoin investor? You need to know your limits. Either you know your limits or you develop the resources to be a proper Bitcoin investor. A proper one means you are with the right. You enjoy the process. You become a rational investor. And if not, there are books called behavioral finance. And it makes you a behavioral investor. Makes you have the proper mindset to go with the lows, go with the highs, still enjoying the process no matter what. Enjoying when you're very, very, very wealthy. More so, but never put yourself down when you lose it. And if you have that resource, then you're unstoppable because you'll, you'll make better decisions than when you do it through your emotions and you then will be closer to your goal, which is making a lot of money, but please don't stop there. Make of that money something good for your mind and others. Yes, perfect. And you've you've exactly like described the the perfect art of hodling, as it's called in uh, the Bitcoin world, which is um, a misspelling of the word um, holding to hold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to to slowly invest for the very long term. Um, mm-hmm. Sylvia, I, I wonder whether you'd be surprised to hear that many people have found that their mental health has improved since they have started investing in and holding Bitcoin. Oh, I can imagine that. You, you want to ask me why? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Right. There are many people who need a big dream in their lives, who need to hope for something good to happen in their future, because it's not about Bitcoin. It's about what did you get? Why did you want to make the investment. And in fact, you are an, an expert in sales, so I know that you know the five whys. Why this? But why? And why? I mean, why do you want to invest in Bitcoin? Oh, because then I will be having a more comfortable life. And why do you want to have a more comfortable life? Well, then because I will be able to be more time with my family instead of working all the time. And why did you want to be spending more time with your family because I love them very, very much and they're very important to me and my presence really are going to enrich people's lives. And why is so important for you that you enrich people's lives? Because that creates meaning, etc., etc. 
a Bitcoin investor needs to ask themselves those five whys. If you are there and you stop at why I want to make money, you make nothing out of that investment because you haven't really thought of the benefits of getting the investment back 10, 20, 1,000 fold. What are you going to do once you really make it? It needs to be something that is, is really coming, not just enjoying the process, making those things count. So, of course, if you have that hope, if you live for that moment, and it's not just the moment when you realize that you have a lot of zeros in your bank account, it's what it comes with it. So you need to also have the responsibility to make it happen. Don't stop at just looking at the zeros. Remember your whys. Why are you doing all that? Remember the five whys derived from making the investment and hopefully make it, make it true, make it reality. And then put it into practice. Get the resources, physical and mental, to make it happen. Then your life will be really enriched. How could you not have mental health when you can visualize that? Yes. Yeah, very good. And I think... You know, once people do start, you know, it's we term it falling down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin. It's usually first step you get in just because, yeah, I'm going to make a load of cash. But then people talk about how Bitcoin starts changing them, starts changing their thinking to much longer term thinking, to a much lower time preference. And they stop buying all of the junk that they were originally buying and they start spending much more wisely so they can. Uh, put a little bit more money aside into Bitcoin. However, there is there is a side of people um, in the community that are heavily investing and almost praying for the financial structure that we have in place at the moment to fail mm -hmm. um, because they they see they see through it. They see it for what it is. They see it as a Ponzi scheme, a pyramid um, that is controlled at the very top by the very few, and so many people have suffered. Uh, around the world due to you know fractional reserve banking and coming off the gold standard and uh, money printing and whatever else and they just pray for this this systems to fall down now i'm worried for those bitcoiners now listening to what you just said that you know perhaps they need to um you know go through those five whys again uh because if that does happen if there is a financial system collapse i don't think you can be that happy Right, that's the opposite. That was that, that's exactly what I mentioned before. You need to be having the two mindsets for winning, but for losing. Mm. Losing things in our lives is part of living. Adversity is part of our lives, and you need to be losing gracefully, without shame, without putting yourself down, without saying no, never, I will never do that again, and then avoiding life and avoiding any kind of risk because you think you've been punished by making the wrong decision. So if things go wrong, but that's the worst case scenario, you know, can go wrong. I mean, the loss well, is let's, 40%. Let's, let's look at the scenario where things go really great for mm -hmm. somebody that's bought Bitcoin and yeah. uh, in a year or two years' time, they are comfortably wealthy and they're financially free and um, mm -hmm. you know, spending more time with their family. All that is good. But yes. the whole way through, they were hoping that the financial system would collapse because they they thought it was corrupt and mm -hmm. it did collapse. Okay. And now they're in a world where they're okay, but the other 99% of the people, when it did collapse, yes, it's the, the you know, people are in a, a lot of pain and a lot and a lot of suffering. Is that person, still... even though they, is that person going to be happy 
Like okay. even though everything he was hoping for happened, like right. the financial system, go ahead. It, yeah. It's just a question. I am confused. The person who is hoping for the system to collapse is mm. the system of the Bitcoin or other systems. It's just the, the, before the other system, like oh, um, right. the the normal system. Okay, so it's just it's like I'm in Bitcoin because I see through this. I want that to collapse and everyone to go onto Bitcoin. Right. Um, right. If that happens. Are they going to be happy when the when if the collapse happens? Are they going to be happy or are they coming in with the wrong mindset? Happy is a very very tricky word. Are they going to be happy or are they going to think I knew it? Mm. I knew it. That's very different from being happy because um, there are many things that we can know and forecast in life. Doesn't mean that it makes us happy. I'm I'm sure if any other system collapses everyone will be affected. And if you see people you love affected, how can you be happy? Now, if you be, if you're a monk in the Tibet or in the silence, you know, with no one, I don't know, that even exists. I think the Tibet is actually quite populated, but in that way. So it's very rare to even escape from any bad news that may happen to people you love. So happy, no, I think that it would be more like I knew kind of thing, like I told you so, but happy about that I, I don't think i think that people will actually if the people who invested in bitcoin and the bitcoin didn't collapse while the others did they will feel probably relieved that they didn't go with the other system relief is not happiness relief is something else like oof, oh, i escaped myself i escaped from this but that's not happiness it's relief and it's very short-lived too anyway. Because again, happiness or unhappiness is what I told you before. After a year or so, comes back to baseline. It's not going to make us feel... I mean, I remember the day that I got my, you know, my doctorate, like the graduation. I was very happy. I also, because I knew all this, I thought, oh, for how long I'm going to be happy? <laughs> I'm not going to be very long. <laughs> I'm going to feel, in, I don't know, I'll forget that I'll be a doctor very soon. And I did. I've forgotten completely about that. I'm not happy anymore. I feel nothing. I'm completely numb. So, yeah, that's the nature of being humans. We're very, very adaptable for both happiness and unhappy moments. It's the same losing your own legs. After a year, you end up as happy as you were before losing your legs or making a huge amount of money through Bitcoin. Hmm. Wow, yeah. When you put it that way, upping your, your baseline happiness and your mental health and figuring out ways to control your thoughts or at least understand <laughs> the way you think or why the way you think um, <laughs> definitely seems to be kind of the... The, the in plain sight investment that nobody is looking at, myself included, very guilty of this. <laughs> now you learn. <laughs> <laughs> why do we feel, why would, you know, many of us would feel weak if we were to reach out to someone for help? Mm. Why is that predetermined? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you some very deep and worrying questions probably, but, you know, if I were to say, oh, yes, you know, I, I'm, I'm engaged with uh, a CBT therapist and um, we are going to start a course of lessons over the next uh, year, mm -hmm. why would I just naturally not want to share that with anyone? Because I would feel as though I'm being weak. Right. Weak is the belief. And in fact, it's one of the most deep-rooted beliefs people can have. Any label, any negative 
label that you attach to yourself stupid, inadequate, weak, pathetic, failure, all negative. I mean, you can get the dictionary. You can find all the adjectives. I've heard them all, I think, in almost my 30 years of, uh, of career. But unfortunately, those are the most problematic beliefs people can have. Having labels to describe yourself for, who, for what you do, for decisions you make, for how you feel, for how you think, is the most illogical, irrational thing you can think about yourself. It's really very, it's no, it's no compassionate at all. And only it's going to get you depressed or the minimum you're going to feel is very ashamed about yourself. So if you think you're weak, um, th- there is a lot of work that you need to do for that core belief. Normally it takes me about four sessions with someone to just eliminate that belief from their minds. Um, but the consequence of having the belief that you're weak is shame. Now, the alternative, I can only ask you, what's the alternative? You will always have the core belief of being weak. If you don't change it, it's going to be always activated the moment that you need help from others, the moment that others may think you are not coping with a situation very well, or not even others, yourself. The moment you appraise your own um, your own situation as, uh, or your own resources as deficient, not so good, making mistakes, you, you, you're going to be always activated by that core belief. So... My recommendation is to get rid of that because we always have a part of us that not only cannot do everything we want, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't be able to do absolutely everything we want because otherwise we'd be so exhausted all the time. I think at times we need to be less good at doing X things that others might be better. And this way you can do whatever you think you can do with whatever else is left. You may enjoy preparing a nice meal or you may enjoy your yoga class or you don't have to be the best you just need to feel good in the process and asking for help is not a sign of weakness it's actually a sign that you're ready to overcome your limitations some of them because you will always have difficulty maybe um i mean my limitation is cleaning i really hate cleaning (laughs) right um, am I weak uh, for not being able to clean very well? Well, that may be my mother thinking, you should be ashamed of yourself, but I don't believe that, <laughs> right? I just don't think that I have to be perfect in everything that I do. And I'm not perfect and I don't want to be. Why should I be? Is getting to the point of self-acceptance with all our limitations. And when you know your limitations, you know what? It's beautiful. Because when you know them, then you know how to ask other people who can be good at that thing to do it for you. And if you are wealthy, that's where your true resource will lay. Because if you know your limitations and what you're not so good at, and you don't want to even be better like me, I don't want to be a better cleaner, then I can acknowledge that without any shame for other people to do it. But while you feel ashamed of yourself, you call yourself names, inadequate, pathetic, weak, then you'll never be able to use the resources that you really can use to do better things with yourself. Right. And I'm the, about the world's worst DIY man. So, you know, <laughs> that's why I always hire someone else to come and do it. But <laughs> So what I'm hearing there is it's actually the strongest thing that you can do 
is to recognize mental health for what it is and to then go ahead and seek like professional help and rather than it being the weakest thing we, we always think that people that are seeking psychotherapy um are somehow broken or you know um mm. as the shame that we have always been embedded with the right. stigma and that's why so many people now are not called themselves therapists but coaches because mm. One thing is having mental health issues, and I see a lot of people with mental health issues, but I see as many people without mental health issues that still want to do their best with the resources they have. And if they don't talk to me, they don't even realize that they have so many as they think. So it's, it's not just acknowledge your limitations, but also your strengths and making use of them. And sometimes it takes someone to reflect back on what you think, what you are saying, to realize that you have more mental resources that you're actually realizing, realizing it and how you can use those resources to your advantage. So coaches at the moment, ideally, they should be cognitive behavioral because, as I said at the beginning, um, CBT, cognitive behavioral, even if it's in coaching, is the most scientifically based approach. And you're more likely to get good results in that approach rather than anything that is just pseudo-psychology. And to bring this like almost to a close, um, we'll touch on exactly you know uh, what's been happening right now, a very topical moment. People have been locked in their homes um, against their will. Do you, what, what are some of, you know, as a professional therapist, coach, excuse me. Um, yeah, what? yeah. <laughs> what, um, what are some of your concerns that people might be going through, um, you know, in this situation where they've not been able to leave, especially if you're in an apartment block? Um, you know, mm. it, it might be different if you're in a, a house with a large garden. Um, um, I'm going to actually say something that is worrying me right now about that. Because um, I, after two months without seeing, I have two nieces and I didn't see them until the other day. One of them is 14 years old, and she's always been a very anxious child, but I thought that she would grow out of that. However, this lockdown has really crushed her, and anything that could have probably developed over the next two or three years, it has been advanced, it has been just brought back here to the present, and I saw her uh, she didn't want to leave the house now. From being a complete extrovert who needed a stimulation socially, now she doesn't want to leave the house. She's lost all her confidence. She doesn't want to study anymore. She's got depressed. She's angry and crying all the time, 14 years old. And I have a client. Um, uh, now she's, she always had panic attacks, and that's why I was treating her. The therapy was interrupted because I couldn't really do much in, in lockdown because she had to stay in the house and she couldn't do the practice outside. And now because of the lockdown, she's got worse. The agoraphobia is worse. So and I'm, what I'm trying to say with your question is, again, coming back to our baseline, the lockdown is not the cause. It's not the cause of any other mental problems, mental health issues that people can develop. They were already probably dormant. They're probably just being exacerbated. 
and they have been brought back quicker than maybe they should have developed. And, and many people are going to struggle because of that more now because they, they, it's more an, an acute... Uh, I mean, I read somewhere, probably you too, that around, um, I think it's about 50% of people are scared of being in the street, at least in Spain. And, and they're worried in case they catch something. When now the levels of the virus is actually very low. So worry is now very predominant in the population. I would say everywhere, not just here in Spain. So I think this lockdown is going just to highlight things you had to work on before that you were probably postponing, that they were not maybe interfering with your life too much, but now it's just, it's just on your face. It's just, you just need to tackle it. Whatever this lockdown has brought you is just enhancing and highlighting you had already um, maybe a mild, medium problem, but that now it's just severe because you don't, have the, you don't have all the things to cover it up. You don't have the entertainment, you don't have the social life, you don't have the professional, perhaps for some people, professionally to be um, doing something that could keep their minds off whatever they they try to suppress. And now it's just no escaping. They need to resolve it now. That's my approach, at least. I don't know if it's, it's my opinion. It's, um, yeah, it's certainly, um, certainly worrying. Um... I'm hoping now some people that, you know, listen to this, uh, if they've gone through that and that, like you say, like maybe whatever was dormant there has been sped up two or three years just by being locked down for six to eight weeks. Yeah. Um, having the strength to see that and the honesty to ask yourself, you know, how do I get ahead of this now? Okay, fine. It's here now. Um, it's better here now than in three years' time, right? Um, so, well, yeah. if you have it now, you are unhappy, unhappy Three years, three right. less years. So, it's, get on top you, of it. Yeah, yeah. So, it, in a perverse way, maybe maybe it's um, to bring it up right now in front of our faces and to, to to have the like coming back to like you know not feeling weak about reaching out for help and hmm. actually feeling empowered. Um, you yeah. know, seeing the problem, being hmm. able to solve it, knowing the knowing the way to solve it, uh, and yeah. seeking the answers. Um, yeah. Definitely in the Bitcoin community, that is definitely what we're trying to do. It's like, you know, seek truths. Um, And we get pulled into all of these different directions. Uh, It's not just the financial sector. It's not the stock market. It's not the bond market. It's it's everything. It's like, you know, humanitarian problems. You know, why are half the globe living under um, authoritarian and totalitarian regimes? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some, some very deep thinking comes out of it once you... Mm-hmm. Once you like look through this lens, mm-hmm. and um, go ahead. No, um, I was just saying that uh, a way of testing whether or not people can overcome that roadblock, uh, if they think that they are weak, uh, or even when they don't, is they can go to my website and schedule a free twenty-minute appointment. They mm-hmm. get twenty minutes chat with me, get to talk about their needs, uh, get get a flavor of what they may need and how I could help them, and it's free. So, nothing to lose. It's not like right. it's not like other investments. It's no risk. That's... So, it's, uh, the website is getoveryourbreakup.com/slash/coaching.html. So, I repeat, getoveryourbreakup.com. It's all together, obviously. Slash 
coaching.html. So you go there, just click on the button. I want to request my 20 free uh, assessment with Sylvia and I'll be here uh, for you. That's amazing. And I'll put the link in the show notes for everybody listening. Okay. And um, so we, I, I usually ask a very, you know, what? it's just dawned on me that um, you do CBT and uh, Bitcoin is BTC. So again, you're a Bitcoiner, <laughs> you just don't know it yet. You've just got to shuffle the letters around in your mind. I'll have to advertise it more like that. <laughs> BTC or CBT for you. <laughs> and, and listeners, um, one day I might even... Um, persuade Sylvia to start taking payment in Bitcoin. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. <laughs> you may have to try to convince me. I never yeah. have much convincing to do, you know. Not, uh, maybe if people start uh, reaching out to you, who, you, you I'm never know. I'm a level seven of risk. I'm a, I'm a person who's not very, very bad taking risk. I think life is about, uh, but it needs to be rational. Um, mm. It needs to be contemplating. Uh, I mean, if you have all your money of your pension already secured, mm-hmm. would I invest in Bitcoin? You need to ask yourself the right questions. Is that mm-hmm. I mean, at my age, <laughs> although right. I may sound a bit younger, at my age, how much would I want to risk all the money I've saved over a lifetime? Those are legitimate questions for everyone. And then allocate what you think is okay for whatever mm-hmm. investment you want to make. So those those are the questions for you to ask to your listeners. Absolutely. Now, I usually ask um, if there was one person uh, that you could implant your knowledge about Bitcoin into, that they would then go and share their knowledge with uh, their audience so that um, we could reach a far wider um, audience and, and help people understand it. But obviously, I'm going to ask you about CBT. If you could implant everything that you've learned about mm-hmm. CBT and implant that knowledge into one other person who would then just wake up and see the power it could have for people. Mm-hmm. Who would that person be and why? Um, let me see, because you see, I would say if you recommend CBT to someone with a name, it's for that person to also mm. influence others mm-hmm. and spread that message and reach other people why would i even not think of that person i mean if it's if it's going to stay in that person it would be for everyone everyone should read about it everyone should get it but if it's one person you put me on the spot really it's a difficult question what would be one person that i think could be a good person to influence others to develop the message hmm Gosh, I'm really bad at thinking of names. I'm very good, as you can see, abstracts idea and research studies, but with names? Well, I can tell you one person who has already done it, if that mm-hmm. is, you know, is, if, yeah. if it's of good value. Because yes. um, Stephen Fry is a okay. guy I really like. Yeah. Uh, and because he has bipolar disorder, it's, it's been, you know, it's... it's worldwide known. He's done a lot of programs on TV and his treatment was CBT. And he really is, um, he promotes the CBT um, on TV all the time. And many others, in fact, I was watching as well another program last night. I just don't remember now the name, but um, again, CBT is all about developing happiness through your mental health. Happiness Unless you have it already and you're born with it and you already have the right mindset, probably you're not going to be able to achieve it by yourself if you don't have some kind of guidelines. 
So uh, that person is already a very good example of, uh, and that's an English person, obviously. Mm. Maybe your listeners are more, um, I don't know what the demographics are, maybe they are more from North America or some other places, but uh, definitely for UK um, listeners, oh, yeah. it would be Stephen Fry because he's already done it. Um, and maybe one day, if I become extremely famous in all over the world, <laughs> I could spread the word. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so far, I, I think I, I'll stay in my little bubble, um, getting older for too much, uh, so much traveling as I used to do before, and, and teaching all over the, the world all these conferences. Uh, but they're they're really big people already promoting that that they're really, really, you know, really influencers and really well-known people. So. I don't know exactly who would else would actually have to benefit. Maybe you can you can do that with all your listeners. You know enough of CBT to do it yourself. <laughs> so why not? Why not? <laughs> well, I think Stephen Fry is a is a great answer, and I'm sure many, if not everybody, knows who he is because um, yeah, amazing person, uh, great actor, mm. and uh, used to be a force of nature on Twitter, but then uh, I, he, he stepped away from it for a little while. But I think he came back, so uh, but not in the same mm-hmm. kind of vein. Yeah. But, uh, Sylvia, thank you so much for your time today. Um, are you pleasure. on Twitter yourself? Can anybody reach out to you on Twitter? I'm not. I'm not a Twitter person. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, they can go on my Facebook. I mean, from my website, uh, you, you can go actually from, you know, from my website to all my social media. Uh, yeah. But the best the best place to catch me is really my website, getoveryourbreakup.com. <laughs> Hopefully you're not. I mean, I know that it's all very about breakups because that is all how I developed a program, an online program uh, to, to resolve people's difficulties after a breakup. So everything that I, I learned from the findings of my PhD has been developed into a program for people who suffer as a, as a result of a breakup. So everything now is uh, through that website. But uh, they can also contact me if they have any other issues through the coaching tab on top. Excellent. Well, thanks again. And if there's um, anything, any final thoughts that you would like to uh, to leave the listeners with? That definitely my ABC has been the same from the beginning till the end. I really, really enjoyed the experience. It was really Amazing. I mean, you're, you're great. The way you, you reflect, you ask questions, you're very thoughtful. It's a pleasure to really, I mean, it's not just um, because it's what you must say. It's really being a pleasure. really enjoyed being with all of you today. Thank you so much for the kind words, Sylvia. And um, I hope you have a wonderful evening. And you too. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that show with Sylvia as much as I did. We got into some pretty cool stuff there. Uh, I hope it really helps people think about, um, you know, my, my takeaway is raising that that baseline happiness. You know, think about that. It's, that's that's crazy. If you can shift any curve, shift that one, shift that another five or 10% in the right direction. Uh, but that takes hard work. And I was talking to her after, after the recording and, and before we said our final goodbye, uh, she asked me, so what did you take away from, from, from the chat what did you take away from the podcast you know what what was it that you know you found interesting it's, it comes back to like what she was saying about um investing in yourself for very little amount and huge upside and that is again that is bitcoin this is the asymmetric risk that we're all in 
that we all realize this is why we're here. We we understand that if we're buying very cheap sats right now, this is going to you know have huge upside potential in the future. And then if you apply that to yourself, you know, how can I improve myself? And I think we'll all agree once you're down a Bitcoin rabbit hole, you know, the the, the journey of um, you know self-realization just keeps compounding and compounding uh, whether you want it to or not. You, you can't fight it. And if you put it into like uh, investing terms, like this asymmetrical risk of spending a couple of hundred pounds a month to... Well, it might even be that, you know, a couple of hundred pounds uh, every other month or something to to work on with a professional, with someone that um, like, like Sylvia, that uh, that is that is trained in this um, in this field could have exponential benefits. And even if it doesn't, what's your downside? A couple of hundred pounds, a couple of hundred dollars, uh, you know, yeah, sure. You could have been stacking sats. I hope you would be in the first place. But um, you know, just a few sessions make may make you stack sats in a in a better fashion. And like, it's just yeah, it's it's one to really really think about. Um, why do we why do we have this this fear of of you know speaking to somebody with these with these credentials and and like talking to people? Oh yeah, I'm seeing a therapist. You know, has this um this real kind of weak connotation to it. Whereas really it's about the strongest shit you can do, you know, reach out to someone and say, Hey, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm willing to learn. I want to improve. Can you help me? Yeah. It's pretty powerful. Um, I loved it. I, I love speaking with her and you should be a great guest. Uh, we've got to turn into a Bitcoiner somehow guys. So if you can, uh, if you can reach out, go to her website, I'll make sure it's in the show notes and um, you can go and, uh, and find her there. So uh, take care. I look forward to the next episode. Thanks so much to everybody that is, um, that's tuning in and, uh, and sticking with the show. We're getting very close now to 30,000 downloads over the last uh, three months, which uh, I couldn't have ever have dreamed of. Um, you know, CoinFloor have already been so generous in, in stepping up and looking to show support in some way for the show. Uh, thank you, Obi. And um, thank you, CoinFloor. And if you want to start stacking sats with CoinFloor, head to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. And thank you to the Swan guys as well, two other um, brilliant people in the space that are um, helping people stack sats in a, in a very safe and Bitcoin-only manner in uh, in the US. And you can head over to uh, www.swanbitcoin forward slash once bitten to, um, to start your US dollar stacking sats journey. Big hats off to everybody that's listening. If you're sharing the show, really appreciate it. Always reach out on Twitter. Always happy to um, to enjoy the uh, the banter and the retweets. And a big shout out to Andy Edstrom. That uh, I don't know where you get your lyrics from, Andy, but but keep um, keep those songs coming, my friend. And uh, look forward to uh, seeing you all again on Twitter soon. Take care. Stay safe. Bye bye.